it's always going to be this type of movie. I'm pretty sure Nolan will never tell. It's the, it's the you're so vain of Christopher Nolan movies. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody welcome to the sincast this is chris atkinson from cinema sins joined as always by the voice of cinema sins jeremy scott kapow and from music video sins barrett share hey and today we're going to be doing the elite eight of our bracket for the best of the 2010s decade it's getting serious now folks it's It's been a journey man it has been a journey um we have some movies today that I'm not going to want to see go, but that's the way, that's the nature of the beast. <laughs> um, so I guess let's get right into it. We're going to do some questions after this. We're going to hit, we're going to winnow this down to the final four and then we will we do are. that. We're going to do that the next time we do this. So, um, elite eight, we're going to the, uh, the North region, where we have our stalwart number one seed, Mad Max Fury Road, mm. going up against the two seed, Hell or High Water. So this was all mm. chalk in this uh, in this bracket here. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, two movies that I love dearly. Mm. Yeah, two uh, very different uh, presentations of women, right? Like there's a... Is there even any prominent woman besides like the surly waitress in Hell or High Water? Well, and um, and his uh, ex-wife, yeah, Chris Pine's ex-wife is is at the very end, and he's he makes a point of saying that she's the one that's in charge of the property and everything at the end of the movie. Yeah, he goes to see her in the middle of the movie too, and then goes out back and uh, offers his son a beer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you and, know and, off the top of your head who plays his ex-wife? I don't. It's not uh, an actress I remember. I, 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 I thought it was Katie Holmes, but that's in <clears throat> Logan Lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm glad too at the end of that where he there he's having a beer with his his son that it, his son isn't like fuck you dad you left and you're terrible and all that he really loves his dad so like i i i I get i get really exhausted of seeing that kind of relationship and movie he does though he does say uh first you tell me not to be like you and then you offer me a beer so which is it and then chris pine is like good boy yeah 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 Yeah. I like uh, when when they're hanging out on the porch when Ben Foster and Chris Pine are drinking, and uh, you know the, I, I guess it's when they're coming up with the idea and stuff like that. And Chris Pine's like, "Ah, you're drunk," and Ben Foster is offended. He's like, "You know, I don't get drunk on beer. Nobody can get drunk on beer," <laughs> <laughs> and that's the most offensive part of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i don't know if there's uh if we should just go ahead and vote on some of these if there's something that somebody wants to talk about they can well these are you know about the matchup itself uh we've had some good matchups we've had some tough matchups and we've had some that uh that you know were pretty lopsided with this one yeah i mean they're they're one and two seeds for a reason they're so evenly matched you know mm-hmm. they're both gritty 
They're both uh, about the, the the triumph of the spirit. They're they both, both take smart. place in Texas. They both take. They, yeah, they sure do. <laughs> is that where Fury Road is? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Is it in uh, California? No, it's Australia. Oh. Australia. Oh, that's right, Australia. Yeah, it's Australia. Um, yeah, these are these are super. This would be a heavyweight match that would last until the end, I think. I guess in the the category of what what these movies are about, Mad Max Fury Road it does work on just an act, you know, a, an action movie level. Uh, mm-hmm. You can watch this movie as just an action movie and be totally fine with that, but it does have more on its mind than just that. Um, obviously just the Mad Max series, uh, has sort of a warning sign for people living in this day and age about, uh, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the world that they live in where natural resources could become as valuable as gold. Um, and in Mad Max Fury Road for the first time, uh, it really, really becomes a big feminist type movie. Um, uh, Charlize Theron is, uh, is, is the perfect actor to be in that, in that role, to be that, to be the hero of that and everything. And she takes this movie over and it's, a uh, it's no wonder that they were thinking about making a Furiosa movie for so long. Do you know uh, why that didn't happen? I don't, hmm. I don't know why that, I, I think just like anything, People throw that out there sometimes. They gauge the interest, and yeah. there may not have been very much interest for a Furious mm-hmm. movie. Um, uh, but I would have watched it. Um, Hell yeah. Uh, but, you know, you have you have all these women who have been held captive for all this time, and they're, uh, they're having to be, uh, you know, a breeder for this Morton Joe guy, and uh they once they break out they're all badasses and everything and just uh just to show tremendous strength throughout it and and you know mad max is is sort of incidental he's a hero in the movie <laughs> but he's incidental to what they're trying to tell in the movie and so if you were going on what what is the deeper thought of each movie i think mad max actually beats hell or high water in that case because High Water is a simple sort of heist movie with a kind of a twist. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, there might be a little bit something you can go into with like banks and stuff like that, and how banks treat people and and that that type of thing. Uh, and I think Hell or High Water beats Mad Max Fury Road on plot, um, right. and performance probably too. Maybe, yeah, kind of, sort of. It, it, yeah, yeah, I would say performance for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because in Mad Max Fury Road, they're not required to do anything like over the top serious. Mm-hmm. Anything. Uh, they have to be competent. Uh, whereas in Hell or High Water, they have to be really good. I do agree with you. Um, but I do think I do agree with you. But I do think Hell or High Water has a couple of moments where it's trying to say more. Like there's the there's that bit where they're both watching the bank, Jeff Bridges and his partner. And there's this whole bit about how, you know, those people took the land from my ancestors Mm. um, and somebody eventually came and took the land from those people. And now it's the banks that are running. So I think there are a few moments where it's peeking into the uh, at least socioeconomic um, lines in uh, rural Texas, if not racial lines. 
because the movie makes a lot of light of Jeff Bridges' racial jokes. But <clears throat> I also think that's part of the point is that if you're either Mexican or Native or both, heaven forbid, this is the shit you put up with from your white partner all the time mm-hmm. in Texas – uh, there are threads there that are that are I think saying a little bit more than a heist, but I don't think it's coming close to what uh, the feminism uh, message that Mad Max is trying to give there. Yeah, um, like it's uh, it, it's not part of the plot as much. Like you, I think of a movie like Lone Star, which has that same uh, yeah. kind of you know uh, it's in Texas, it's a it's a, it's a mystery, it's a, but they there's a lot of things about race that they're talking about in that movie and and everything, and it doesn't quite get to that level, and it doesn't have to. And we're not saying that it does. It's just sure. that um that yeah you're right it does have a it does peek a little bit into that kind of dynamic doesn't it for sure oh um, boy okay so uh where do we want to go with this matchup i can't mm. believe that one of these two is done uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm actually gonna go with mad max um i love hell or high water i don't know if i've ever been as high on it as as jeremy uh, but I do love it. Uh, and probably need to watch it a few more times, but, uh, Mad Max has my, my heart and my gonads. Okay. So I'm going to go with that. <laughs> All right. Jeremy, where do you think you're going on this one? Um, I gotta go Mad Max. All um, right. <laughs> I don't want to because Hello High Water is a movie that I, I feel, I feel led to champion. Um, mm-hmm. But I just keep coming back, at least so far, every time Mad Max has faced anybody else, I just keep thinking about all the spinning plates that he had to have going to make Mad Max succeed. Um, and it's a lot of fucking spinning plates. And the, yeah. the achievement there, uh, you know, it had a higher aim in what it was trying to pull off. Um for sure, yeah. but but it but it landed, and I have to give it the edge. I totally didn't think that they would either. I've told you this when the trailers were coming out for that summer, and I saw that I was a mix of sort of excited because George Miller I knew was at least competent, but I was also a little worried because he's in his seventies making this movie, <laughs> and, and that you know that it was going to like the the trailer itself looked so ridiculous like i didn't think there was any chance that would be good it had a fire guitar yeah (laughs) and the fire guitar actually works like it plays like it does like it it works in the context of the movie who are you to doubt the flaming guitar barrett the (laughs) guitar is going to work all the time uh this is going to be a sweep unfortunately i i was also uh going with mad max fury road here I'm glad I didn't have to break somebody's dreams on this one. Um, but uh, I th- I'm sure we broke a few of you guys out there listening's dreams for this one because I know a couple of people have come on and admi- and uh, on Facebook and have uh, said, you know, how much they love Hell or High Water and they want it to win. Uh, it's just not going to. Tough matchup. Mad Max Fury Road goes on to the final four. Um, and, uh Yeah. I'm good with that. Uh, yeah. if, if you were to if you were to go through this bracket, um, uh, you know, at the 64 point, you would probably have a very high chance of getting Mad Max Fury Road all the way down to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you if you went chalk, you you did the right thing. 
There you go. Um, we and move on. What? Get, I don't know uh, what the process that Aaron was talking about. You can actually vote along with this, right? Uh, every uh, Monday. Yes. In fact, I believe he he uh, we we were talking about this earlier. There's a uh, there is a fan poll on uh, Cinema Sins BTS. Yeah, and the, the Twitter handle at Cinema Sins BTS. And there, there is currently a fan vote going on, which has already uh, skewed from our own bracket in some ways. Um, but uh, they're going to have that done before we're done. So uh, if you uh-huh. want to jump onto that uh, and be a fan voter, you can do that. Yeah. Uh, what were the, what was the cinemasensbts.com and then on a Twitter? Yeah, the, on the Twitter is uh, at cinemasensbts. Okay. Um, we move on to the East region. Uh, and this was another chalk bracket. Um, mm. Number one, Inception against the two seed, The Martian. Mm. Um, Speaking of uh, Aaron Dicer, it was so fascinating reading that Slack thread that you guys had about his interpretation of inception mm-hmm. um, and how it changed a, a movie that he kind of liked or like didn't even like to, to one that he loved. He felt like it didn't hold up because there were so many things about it uh, that, you know, that I had brought up in last week's pod. And, and uh, if we really wanted to get super deep and then say, I know the thing about inception is that you can go down a rabbit hole. Yeah. You can sit there and talk about it forever. You're not going to be, you, you feel like you're never going to be a hundred percent right. But he, he was talking about the fact that he believes that Cobb is always in a dream, the entire movie. Um, and so, uh, so everything that's in the movie that doesn't make sense to you can always be, just can be explained by he's in the dream the whole time. Like yeah. for instance, Arthur getting shot in the dream at the beginning and, and them not waking up af- out of it and everything mm. is a, is a function of him still being in a dream. Um, so like, I guess we're always seeing him one layer below, uh, if you were to take that interpretation, he's one layer into a dream. Every time we see him, he's never all the way back. Um, which means there's a, there's a cob somewhere just lying down in a, <laughs> in a building somewhere. And he's been asleep for weeks because, you know, he was down in limbo with his wife for 50 years. And then, uh, then, then, then there's the point where the movie takes that break where you're not quite sure if he knows what he's talking about, if you know if he if he's if he's got memories or if it's a dream or whatever, because there's so many things that he recalls to Ellen Page in that movie mm-hmm. that you look at the what the movie is showing us doesn't make sense to us. Like you know her being on the other side in another apartment building before she does that jump. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a and and just the fact that the the idea that she he apparently incepted into her was you're not in a real place. You're in a dream. And that carried with her all the way up to, according to him carried up, carried with her all the way to the real world. So she thought that the real world was a dream, uh, but it could very well describe him too. Yeah. Yeah. I you just wonder like, what are the stakes then? Like, uh, is he still trying to, to wake up? Is he still trying to get out of this? I don't like, know. What, I think at this point, point of the movie, you know, at this I mean? point it just becomes a mind fuck. That's, that's yeah. all. That, that's <laughs> the only thing I hate about that interpretation 
is well, that it's, everything? It's, it's the, yeah, it's the Joker problem, right? Like if it was all yeah. in his head, it was all a dream. Then what did I then, just watch? Right. And how do I know? Like it's if you take that interpretation, I really, I really don't want to have this conversation. If you take that interpretation, <laughs> then you're saying you buy some of the rules the movie gives you, even though those are all given to you within his dream. I need yeah. something before or after that's outside the dream, and then I'll buy the everything you saw from this point to this point was a dream, so I have some measure of context. Here, for all I know, in the real world, when he wakes up, there are goddamn dragons and mm-hmm. like giants and white walkers and shit. I don't have any any real world at all mm-hmm. if this was all a dream. So again, like Chris said, what was, what's the fucking point? I don't even know if Chris said that. I'll say it. No, what's Barrett, the fucking point? Barrett said, what's the fucking point? And I said, that's maybe the only thing that I don't like about yeah. the interpretation. It does explain a lot of things. It's just that it opens more questions yeah. uh, once it explains the things in the movie itself. Um, so, I mean, it's always going to be this type of movie. I'm pretty sure Nolan will never tell. It's the it's the you're so vain of Christopher Nolan movies. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so what you mean is in like 30 years, he'll auction off. For thirty million dollars, the chance to whisper in one person's ear—that's that correct. Meaning of the movie—it's it's the you ought to know. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. It's the it is. Yes, it is. It's yeah. Um, I thought we all knew you ought to know was Uncle Joey. I think I, at this point, I, I think everybody assumes it's everybody uh, assumes. But I've heard other things about that too. Where, where have you really? Yeah, where either she denied it. Or I can't remember. Like there, there was some other, there was some other, you know, question about it, and people mm. were like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> what it's who's about. That's right. You know, and she went down on that guy, and he, 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 he in a theater, and, yeah, and he theater. still broke up with her. Still yeah, broke yeah. up with her. You can't do that on television's Alanis Morissette. That's what he did. <laughs> um. So Inception goes up against The Martian, and this. Man, this movie, these two movies going up against each other. I mean, we had a we had a pretty distinct matchup in this the first one that we did today. Yeah. Um, the movies are completely different now. Inception and Martian are are essentially very different, but they appeal to the same. I think part of your brain, right? Mm. Yeah, I can um, see that. Uh, that uh, you know, it's 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 all about problem solving and and uh, and you know, it's it's that's the way I that's the way I feel about it anyway. Inception and Martian are both about problem solving in, in the end. Um, uh, but um, and maybe I guess many movies are like that. But it seems like th- that they make this the forefront. Um, they do, and and the way that they exposit in both of these movies, I think, is very clever. You know, with uh, Inception, it's through dialogue. It's through Ellen Page's character being the proxy uh, to say each component of how this works, right? So, so we do get the information as as it, the movie goes along, and they do it so brilliantly in The Martian by having Mark be the the omniscient narrator, telling you everything, every step that he's going to take, and what happened after that. That's why you have that wonderful like. Uh, I'm going to set a fire. 
NASA doesn't like fires, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he, then he does it and you have that woo. And then he gets blown up and then you see him all singed on the next one. <laughs> He's like, well, that didn't work. That's the part of the Martian that, that gets me excited about the movie more than anything though, is that the rules are there to keep you safe. But if you're in a situation like this, where you need to have to, you need to break the rules and everything you have to, you have to, you have to figure out, is this making me safe um, as a precaution or is this making me safe? You know, is it, is it making me safe? Because if I do it, I will die if I do it. And that's what that whole thing about finding the, the little, um, uh, what is it? The radioactive decay thing. Yeah. In the yeah. Middle of the, you know, it, of course you're going to bury that shit and you're going to put a flag on it because you don't want to, you don't want that just hanging around. You don't want something radioactive around or whatever, but he knows that that is a precaution more than it is something that is actually just keeping you safe or whatever. You just don't want to stumble on it or just accidentally blow it up or something like that. Um, he solves a problem by saying, okay, yeah, normally you wouldn't want to have this on the back of your Rover, but <laughs> it's going to keep me warm and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to expend my batteries with a heater. Well, then that even extends to the thinking at NASA when they decide to skip the inspections on the probe because, yeah, the inspections are there as a precaution, but this is an emergency and we can't afford that. Uh, The time is more important. Of course, it backfires on them, but I I like that that is reflected both on Earth and the NASA scientists and on Mars with Mark. Right. I mean, you, you think about it the other way. If they had decided to go through with all the different safety precautions and everything, they would have had a successful launch. It wouldn't have gotten there in time. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. and, that's what, and that's why, you know, it's funny because, you know, of course, people are going to be at first, they're going to be like, I don't want to do this because it's my ass if this doesn't work or whatever. But like in extreme situations, you've got to figure out the problem in a different way. And, and that's what I love about the Martian mm-hmm. um, when it comes, when it comes down to it, just uh, mm. uh, I, I, I like so many different things in this where he's just like, it seems like he's at a dead end, but then he just kind of thinks about it and he's like, all right, all right. I know what, I know what I need to do now. And if this doesn't work, I'm going to be dead. But if I don't do it, I'm going to be dead. So, you know, I like that. It's, it's so improbable that Donald Glover his character would just come up with that, the 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 whole uh, slingshot thing by himself with all these models and all these computers going. But it's so exhilarating, too, because you see maybe, maybe, maybe there is a chance, uh, like the one chance in hell that they could actually make this work. And well, he's if- so confident about it. It, it. it has no choice but to work. If any of them had seen Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, they mm. would already know about slingshotting around a, a, a planetary body uh, <clears throat> yeah. in order to travel through time. I'll go, I'll, yeah, I'll go one better. <laughs> They're in NASA. They should know that. No, I just uh, – I, I think the one main complex thing that he – that Donald Glover – figures out that nobody else does. And I, I, you would assume that a bunch of NASA scientists would sit there and go, Oh yeah. What about the slingshotting? And you would think that a bunch of them would come up with that. But the problem that Donald Glover is going through is the fact that earth and Mars are in a weird orbit at the time. And he has, you have to figure out 
when to start speeding up and when to start doing all that. So I think the problem was too complex for somebody to just say, hey, let's just slingshot them around the earth and whatever. Of course, there are also a lot of them are not thinking that anyway because they don't want those astronauts to still be in space. Right. So it, it, it could have been a situation where they were just like, uh, we're not even thinking about that type of thing because we want to get them back and we want to figure out other ways to get Mark back. Mm. Rich Parnell is a steely-eyed missile man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, now I'm wondering, is that a that must have been something that they said a bunch at NASA because that's in Apollo 13 as well. Maybe uh, it is. There, Maybe in Apollo is. 13, there's a point where uh, where he he points to somebody in, in NASA control points to somebody and goes, "And you, sir, are a steely-eyed missile man." Oh, interesting. Maybe that's just a, a nod from one space rescue movie to another. It could it's be. It's an it homage. Okay. Guys, between these two movies, what are we going to pick? I'm ready to jump through the screen if you guys choose wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, having watched both of these movies recently and like right, like I think almost right on top of each other, uh, I'm going to pick The Martian. Woo! I am, Woo! I am going to pick The Martian, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martian's one of the most enjoyable movies, start to finish, that I've ever, ever, ever seen. Mm-hmm. Martian, Martian, Martian. Martian, I, actually, for me, kind of a surprise sweep over Inception there. Yeah. Um, I, you know, Inception, obviously, if you're, if, you're, if you're Nolan and you're just creating out of nothing, essentially, that's the most creative movie that there is, but... The more enjoyable movie, the movie that I, if you put both of these movies in front of me, how many times I'm going to pick The Martian? I imagine I would pick The Martian six out of 10, maybe seven out of 10 times. So The Martian goes to the final four. It's going up against Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh. Oh, no. Right? No. <laughs> no. No. Uh, we move over to the South region where the surprise eight seed parasite. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. goes up against the uh, seven seed. Her. This was not chalk at all. This bracket. <laughs> this bracket was the biggest bloodbath uh, uh, for sure out of the group. Um, yeah, and there were so many like, like I can't believe this movie is leaving now. Uh, situations going on in this bracket, <laughs> and and Stack. we have an eight versus a seven here. Um, and, um, and I, you know, Parasite, again, I, just from what I've read on the Facebook comments that I've seen, it still hasn't quite seeped into a lot of people yet. Um, yeah. they've either not seen it, which is, which is fair, or they've seen it and they're just more connected to a movie that's been out for 10 years, which is fair. Um, uh, but, uh, having watched Parasite twice now, uh, you know, I'm uh, this movie just keeps seemingly getting better and better uh, to me, and I feel like I'm going to keep on seeing more things about it that um, that I like about it uh, as I as I continue watching it. Um, yeah, you know, you saw Okja, right? Did you both of you see Okja? Okja. <laughs> I have not seen Okja. <laughs> Did you know this is the guy? Bong Joon-ho that did Snowpiercer, which is one of the like grittiest dystopic uh, movie, but creative movies I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, did you start seeing this transition to 
I don't know, more polished stuff in the Okjaw movie, uh, as it, as it turns out in Parasite? Oh, uh, yes and no. I guess if you mean, cause, cause Snowpiercer has a lot to say about class inequality. It's yeah. actually yeah. a lot more in your face somehow than what, you know, what Parasite has to say about it. But, but Okjaw does as well. Obviously a clear, important theme, uh, for this director, but I would say Akja is the brightest, most colorful and vivid of the three mm. movies, uh, because even Parasite gets gritty. Like when they when they their house gets flooded and that whole yeah. scene, that's every yeah. bit as gritty as anything in Snowpiercer. Yeah, um, yeah. But but, uh, but yeah, the dude has layers, man. You can watch his movies on on multiple different layers, and uh, that's pretty rare. We've discussed that he's made a movie called Parasite and The Host, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. know if we have. And you've I seen mean, The Host, right, Chris? Yeah, I saw The Host a long time ago. I actually don't remember much about it. I just remember just it being fun. It was a fun movie. That's that's one that I want to go back to. I'd actually like to watch Snowpiercer again. It's been a while since I've seen that. Well, And, and that was in contention for the, the bracket and uh, because it's fantastic. And you you brought up the 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 polish or whatever. Snowpiercer is pretty polished, um, yeah. especially pretty, towards the end. It's yeah. pretty, but like there were shots in in the in Snowpiercer that I was just like I was just mesmerized by when he has that long train going around a curve, and you can see from one cabin the other side of the train. Yeah, and everything. yeah, yeah. I was just like that's that's just brilliant. It's so simple but brilliant. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and yeah, such a, such a unique film and everything and parasite. Yeah. You know, it parasite seems like it's going to be like, I don't know, a basic kind of, uh, uh, matchstick men almost kind of movie where, where they're just kind of, <laughs> you know, that's all it really is, but it's got so much more for you. Like you seriously think it's hit a, a dead end at mm-hmm. some point in the middle of this thing where you're like, where do you actually go here? Do they get caught? what's going on and then boom there's this surprise that comes out of nowhere that you're just like no fucking way would have never <laughs> never guessed that never ever guessed that um and so it's uh it's that movie is just ridiculously enjoyable mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it goes up against her which is another movie that's you know i mean it's another movie that talks about our uh the possibilities of what uh we could be getting into in the future with our, our, our phones and, and, uh, and everything we have, you have AI that is so good that, uh, you can have a relationship with it and everything. So he starts off the movie, Joaquin Phoenix being depressed because of the divorce. Right. And, and, and that's kind of where he's at because this movie starts off on a very different tone, right? Like he's, He's writing these creative missives and everything, but he's also pretty despondent in his his personal life. And I guess buying this OS is just a way to make him feel better, right? Because he won't sign those papers, right? Yeah. I mean, how long are we saying that he hasn't signed those papers? I know the movie says it somewhere because she goes through the emails, I think. uh, Samantha does. And it I seems think, like it's been a while. <laughs> like maybe six months is what I think I may have remember. Hearing. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's a he's a little despondent about that, and he's he's at this job where he is having to come up with this beautiful language for people who are actually in love, 
and everything. And mm. I'm sure that's, that's gotta be a little bit hurtful too. And, and, uh, and the one that he does at the beginning, uh, I think it's the one he does at the beginning or maybe one later where he does one where he has all these personal details. And, and I think Samantha asks, how do you know all that? And he goes, Oh, I've been doing this guy's uh, cards for like 12 years. Yeah. That's the craziest thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, he's probably, I mean, I don't think the movie says one way or the other, but he's probably a little bit jealous of that. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, the idea that uh, he's having to do he's he's writing he's basically Cyrano de Bergerac to this guy. Yeah, you know, yeah. Twelve yard twelve year relationship. You know, Man, See, there's Jeremy, so much I, going on there. Uh, you still think that this has a sad ending, right? You talking you to think, me? Yeah. I guess it. I mean, the only way it has a happy ending is if you're rooting for the machines, which is fine. But what about um, you? You don't think Joaquin's going to be okay? He's got he's got the friendship of Amy Adams. He's got a support system. He's got a job. I'm just <clears> saying the first healthy relationship he's had that brought him out of that depression and despondency basically leaves him because he's not smart enough to be on her level. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you could also see, hey, how long would that have lasted? You also see flashbacks of him and Rooney Mara, like laughing it up, enjoying life at the towards the the begin beginning of their relationship, and actually quite a while into their relationship, uh, and then it ends badly. So you know, who's to say that it would it, it would have kept its current trajectory? You know? So you're oh. saying he was his all his relationships are doomed anyway. So we should celebrate when they end. <laughs> no. I, I think I think that they're showing that there is an issue well before she realizes she's too smart for it. Uh, mm. They don't they don't start any trouble. In, they don't start the trouble right at the point where she starts. You know, she and the other OSs resurrect the Brian Cox philosopher or whatever. They don't. That's not where the problem starts. In fact, that's where it seems like the relationships on the mend is when that happens. Yeah. Cause they go uh, out to that cabin, right? Yeah. And, um, and, but before that, uh, you know, she, she says, we don't have sex anymore. And he goes, well, there's always a honeymoon phase at the beginning. People, couples always like stop having sex after a certain amount of time and everything. And that's when then she, she hires, you know, Porsche, uh, double day to, you know, to come in and be the surrogate and, uh, all these different things. And then he, he says some things offhand that he really, you know, he, he's, 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 you know, he says, you're not human. You don't have a body. And he's like, you like, she's like, don't you think I know that? I know that. Of course I know that, you know? Um, yeah. Um, I think it's, I think we can, I think we can feel sad that he's not going to be with her anymore, but I don't think they were going to be anyway. Um, yeah. So he was doomed to fail. <laughs> I feel like you guys didn't get dumped by enough girls in college. It's really the problem here. And uh, if you had, not only would you understand my interpretation of this movie, but also why I write so many college girlfriends since. Mm, mm, mm. How are we nope. voting? Are we ready to vote? No fun getting dumped. Uh, yeah, let's vote. Uh, what do you What do you guys think? Uh, I'll vote Parasite. Really? I have been a her champion, and I still love it. But the, you, Chris has been saying this to every <clears throat> every comment on Facebook that we we just didn't seed Parasite properly 
when we made the bracket because we didn't know it was too recent. Now we know. We didn't listen. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Yeah. Uh, Barrett, I have a feeling this is going to come down to me, so you go ahead and vote. Yeah, because I'm going to go with her. Um, you know, I, I recognize the brilliance of Parasite for, for sure, and maybe it's me guarding against a, a, a recency bias or whatever, but uh, her her got into me. Her uh, connected to me on an emotional level, uh, and it's visually gorgeous. The acting is superb. The cast is fantastic. Um, concept is fantastic. Uh, again, extremely unique movie. Both of these are, uh, but you know, I got to go with her. Is the one weakness of Parasite its ending? Uh, the ending, ending. Yeah, it depends. I. I like it. I think if you end with the vision of the son buying the house, then that's a bad ending. But because you go back to them living in the basement apartment to show that that's just his dream and they are still still in the same situation, I think it's a, a good ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just the Morse code for me. I think it's great. It's a great reveal that the the dad is where the husband was, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, Are you the just communication the Morse code, Chris. Well, yeah, the, I, we've talked about parasite enough that I've heard the Morse code and the actual ending of him buying the house at the end and all that. That's been somewhat troublesome. Um, you know, I, I think for, for me in that ending, it's just the fact that, you know, he says, well, I've decided that I'm going to just make some money. And, uh, and, and, and it's as easy as that, uh, make money and we're, we're good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you don't know whether or not that's just a fantasy or if that's what actually happened or, or what and everything. I got to tell you guys, this is a 50, 50, this yeah. is as 50, 50 as it gets. Ooh, ooh. Um, because ooh. I, I enjoy, I enjoy both of these movies uh, for all the different kind of um, they're, they're, they're both so creative. They're both um, they're both unexpected. Um, they both have a, they both have the same amount of humor. Um, um I'm going to go with my first blush. It's going to be Parasite. Oh. Yes! Yes! <laughs> yes! Oh. Well, that, that, was, was that was being pent up. You had me on the edge. <laughs> you have any idea of when I made the decision? It was right then. <laughs> as, as the word was escaping your mouth. Yeah. Wow. Um, I had, if I had said her, I would have been fine with it. We would have moved on. Jeremy would have been pained. Parasite moves on to the final four. I think that's uh, this is a surprise. I, I actually did not think Parasite. Uh, if you if you were to uh, look at this bracket at the beginning, I didn't think it had a chance. Really, I knew that it would. I knew that it would get past the Florida Project. I was not sure it was going to get past the Social Network. Yeah, this uh, is a run, man. I'm I'm going to watch this movie again. You, you've seen it now, Jeremy, like three times or so. Yeah, three or four. And you've seen it twice, Chris. Seen it twice. Um, yeah. I need to. Uh, I need to watch it again. And I think it, it is on Hulu, actually. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, more people, as we're doing this whole world experiment, uh, are getting exposed to it. 
Yeah. Uh, more so than they would, you know, in the limited release that we saw it in. Yeah. Uh, we move to the West region, our final matchup of the day. Another really tough one. It's a number one seed against a two seed. So for the most part, I do think that the seeding was right on a lot of these. Uh, it's just that Parasite was a little bit better. Maybe a lot more better than we thought it was, that it was, that we thought it was. But the fact that we still ended up with one and two and three of the other brackets, uh, it, it just goes to show that those are the, those definitely were the movies, uh, that should have been seeded that. Uh, the number one seed Ex Machina goes up against the two seed Get Out. Oh. Uh, yeah, this is a rough one. Uh, I had to, uh, I had to go back and watch Ex Machina. This was the only movie I watched over the weekend uh, that I had not seen in the last two months that we've been doing this. Mm. I have seen it. Re- I had seen it recently, but I can't remember for what reason. If if I had done it because of this bracket and wanted to see it before we started, or if it was because of some other reason. But uh, it had been a recent time that I had seen it before this last one over the weekend. Uh, we did wonder, do a sin video on this, right? We did, but I don't think I was on that script. I think that may have been you and and Jeremy. Oh, okay. Was it? You remember? I was on it. I don't remember who was with me. I was I on it. Shit I thought. Like that. I thought uh, maybe it was uh, not an all hands on deck, but I thought maybe there was uh, multiple writers. It's possible because- I watched it for that reason to to look over the script, but mm. uh, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was. I saw it recently before this, though, and then I saw it like in the last two days because I had seen Get Out last week, mm. and so now I have both of them fresh in my mind. And uh, and as I was watching Ex Machina, I was like, Jesus, how do we how do we make this decision? Yeah, um, because both of these movies are just excellent. Is there much score in Ex Machina? Yeah, a little bit. Not much. Not like not like it it uh, permeates the film or anything, but yes, there's, there's a, there are some key scenes that have some really cool music actually. Okay. Um, I need to listen for that more uh, because, you know, something like, you know, his other movie annihilation has such an unsettling score. It's, I think it's supposed to be, especially when they're in the shimmer, that's got like almost a a vibrato type of thing. That scene where, um, where uh, they're stabbing him at the end, which uh-huh. is the craziest. The, the, that those knife scenes are so crazy. How just easily they just put that knife in. Oh yeah, no kidding. Oh. But during those scenes, the music has got this. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh. And um, and it's really cool. It's a cool. It's cool music. Uh, it's but it, yeah, it's not. It's not like all the way through. Um. Uh, what was I going to say about? I, I I watched a bunch of stuff on X Machina, man. I watched uh, some. I watched some behind the scenes and like uh, re- re- talking to the director and all this. And huh. you know, um, there were some things that came out of that. This has nothing to do with the bracket, but I was surprised to find out. I did not know Alex Garland was a novelist before he went into screenplays and stuff. Ooh. So he wrote the book for The Beach. Uh, oh. the, the, the Leonardo DiCaprio oh, uh, really? movie that Danny Boyle directed, in which, of course, later he would write Sunshine that Danny Boyle would direct. Uh, and he uh. did a movie called The Tesseract, which is apparently not very good, but it came out in 2003. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book for that, and I think he may have written the screenplay or something like that. But just going through that history and everything was really interesting. 
Um, but uh, Ex Machina is one of those movies where I'm I, I pop this in going okay. I know this movie. I know it. I know it back and forth, <laughs> everything. I know what's going to happen. But you just always there's always something that just stri- take you know strikes you as you see it. Uh, there's just more more stuff to it uh, as you go along. I just think it's fu- I think it's funny how many times Donald Gleason says something in this movie, and Oscar Isaac sort of like misinterprets it, but it's obviously it's on purpose and. Hmm. And but Donald Gleason is so stupid in this situation that he thinks that Oscar Isaac is really being serious. You know, like yeah. when when Donald Gleason does that uh, uh, that quote about the I am I am man destroyer of worlds and all that. Uh, uh, you know, he's uh, Oscar Isaac's like, yeah, man, that's great. You keep on coming up with great words like that. <laughs> he's obviously being sarcastic. But Donald Gleason's <laughs> like. No, no, that was uh, that was Oppenheim when he made the made the the nuclear bomb. He's like, I know where the fuck it came from, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he does that same thing when he when he's when when he says uh, when he tells him about finding the singularity and everything and saying saying this will be the 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 work of all mankind or whatever. And Donald Gleason's like, it'll be it'll be the work of gods. And then later on, Oscar Isaac's like, you know, that 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 thing that you said earlier about me not being a man, but a God. I love that, man. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, man, Donald Gleason is putting together like a a sneaky, legendary career. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, he's doing just amazing stuff. He kind of disappears into the role, too. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. For me, uh, for me, what. What I always remember about Ex Machina, in addition to it being fucking awesome, was this was my basic first exposure to all three of these actors. Like I hadn't seen, um, I hadn't seen the <clears throat> Oscar Isaac Coen Brothers movie. I hadn't seen About Time with Donald Gleason, and I hadn't seen anything with Alicia Vikander. Um, and so for me, it was like, wow, this actor's great. Wow. This actor's great. Wow. This actress is great. Holy mm-hmm. shit. That movie ruled. Uh, and so <laughs> it has a very, very sweet spot in my heart because, uh, now I see them all girls up in star Wars and tomb Raider and <laughs> born and shit. And I'm looking back, like, my, my kids are all grown up. Yeah. I knew that I knew of Oscar Isaac because I had seen, the Coen Brothers movie that I can't Inside think of. Inside Lewin Davis. Inside Lewin Davis. I had seen that, but I was also still in that mode where he and Jake Johnson look so much alike that yeah. I, I didn't know which one was which a lot of times. Yeah. Um, cause, cause they both had the same, there was even a thing I saw today, a drunk history where uh, Jake Johnson is playing somebody on the Chicago White Sox from the 1919 uh, Black Sox series and everything. And I was like, is that Oscar Isaac? Oh, it's Jake Johnson. It's Jake Johnson. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but I had seen those things, but, um, but yeah, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't big at that point. Star Wars hadn't come out yet. Uh, in fact, there's a, in, on the D on the Blu-ray, they had the, um, the South by Southwest panel and, mm. uh, and, uh, the, the moderator says, uh, here's, uh, uh, the people for Ex Machina is like a uh, director, Alex Garland. Nobody really knew who he was. Uh, actor Oscar Isaac. And there was like a kind of, hey, yeah, yeah. you know, the, if, if he had done Star Wars by that time, that would have yeah. been completely different. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, they, these actors are great. Alicia Vikander 
the um that's one thing that in the behind the scenes that they constantly talk about is how this effect this special effect of what she looks like entirely depends on her performance Mm, and uh yeah the 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 special effects guys are, are pretty like uh quick to say you know the if it's not for her then we don't we don't do this this isn't this isn't going to look right and you know Mm. she's just wearing a suit that they just cut out some sections of and make it look like she's all robotic uh you know in the in that midsection and on around her head and everything and she had to do all this crazy makeup thing where she had to they had to wet down her hair then they had to put a bald cap on it then they had to put more skin on top of the hat to make it look like it had that lip on the, oh, on the wow. around it and everything just a lot of crazy stuff just to get to that point and they didn't have a big budget either um but uh yeah man this movie just constantly just like i i just constantly inventive and everything and it goes up against get out which is also constantly inventive about mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. um uh okay where are we gonna go with this guys i will go ahead I don't want to see Get Out go, but I'm going to pick Ex Machina here. Oh, man. This is like as 50-50 as it can get. I th- I think just because I th- you've got two lead performances that are completely electric in two very different ways. Like Oscar Isaac is dynamic in this movie. He plays drunk. He plays fired up, like hitting the punching bag and everything. He plays super smart. He plays a uh, weird dancing guy. Like he plays, he plays evil. Like, like he's able to show you different sides of this guy's person. You actually like root for him at some points when they're having like their, their Creek side chats and stuff like that. You're like, maybe this guy isn't so hideous after all, but, but he kind of is. Uh, and then you have Daniel Kaluuya's performance in, in Get Out that is dynamic in so many other ways. You think about the, the tears, uh, when he's, when he's, uh, hypnotized, mm-hmm. uh, his microfacial stuff. Like I've always talked about the way he looks when, uh, when somebody says, ah, they don't care or whatever. It's like, I know, you know, I know better than you. Uh, I think I'm going to go get out. All right. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, this is not 50-50. I go ex machina. I'm sorry. Get out. Oh, I'm um, having a rough day, dude. <laughs> you, uh, well, it's not, I was, ironically, I'm not looking to punish you in that choice, uh, whereas other times I have been. Um, but I went, I think, Interstellar over Get Out last time. Um, and uh, that was a, a bit of foreshadowing, I think, for my vote this week. So, excellent. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, you know, this is one of those where I feel like we're being way too evil to ourselves, <laughs> doing a bracket like this, having to pick between movies of this caliber. Oh, um, get out! Get out! Got out! Uh, our final four is going to be Mad Max: Fury Road versus The Martian, and Parasite versus Ex Machina. So I guess we got two number one seeds, a two seed, and an eight seed. We, that's exactly right. That's, that's like pretty a normal yeah, yeah. tournament would, would uh, fair. Yeah. turn out. I would say so. I would say so. All right, everybody. It is time to talk about BetterHelp once again. BetterHelp. BetterHelp. I'm telling you what, man. I've been uh, 
using this service quite a bit recently. I've been open about my struggle with anxiety, especially in this time. Um, but I have now moved to, to two times per week, which you can do um, uh, on the, the BetterHelp uh, platform. My therapist has been fantastic to work with. Um, using, I'm using the practices that she suggested. Um, I'm telling you, man, this process could not have happened at a better time for <laughs> me getting, getting access to it. I was talking to my regular physician, um, and, uh, you know, talking to her about my anxiety and she said, are you getting any mental health counseling? I said, well, actually I'm doing this. And she was like, that's spectacular. Uh, you know, I'm going to start telling my other patients about that. Um, make sure by the way, when you, if you do feel like signing up, um, for the, for this, uh, for this offer, go to betterhelp.com slash syncast. Let them know that, uh, we sent you there. You get 10% off your first month. Uh, this is going to be the month that you're going to be using it the most, most likely. It's super convenient. All licensed, uh, therapists and, uh, my experience has been great. And I think therapy in, uh, talk therapy, counseling therapy in this environment is almost essential right yeah, now. Uh, yeah, think, in fact, I, I keep waiting for somebody to introduce a bill in Congress that adds uh, some of these billions of dollars we're pumping back into the economy to go for mental health because uh, <clears throat> I'm concerned about how much of a toll it's taking on people who either had latent anxiety issues or latent uh, mental health issues that are now presenting. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, for... How long this goes on, which we don't know, it's only going to exacerbate uh, a lot of mental health issues. And so to have a service, like a lot of a lot of therapists are scrambling now to set up teletherapy uh, with their clients. BetterHelp has it all set up already. Uh, and, you know, if you don't vibe with your first counselor, it's no big whoop. You can switch to a different one. Um, like we've got more than one person on our on our crew that's using this service and, and I've heard nothing but rave reviews. Uh, so if you're, if you're struggling, uh, give this a try and you can do it from your own home in a variety of different ways, text, phone, video chat. Uh, it's just a uh, really, really flexible. My regular physician, uh, I had that, that tele meeting with her. It was with zoom and it was certainly <laughs> not to the level that I'm used to with better help. It was just, you know, I can only see one side of her face she was bent over. She's looking over here. She's talking to somebody. Somebody like took a call, like in the yeah. middle of one of my sessions. So, like it, it, it's it's a mess. This is not a mess. This is betterhelp.com slash syncast. Uh, go there if you feel like you, you need some help, even if you feel like you kind of need some help. Uh, go to betterhelp.com slash syncast, 10% off your first month, uh, which is substantial, especially if you use it as much as I do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really encourage you guys to be safe, to find help, to take care of yourself. And BetterHelp can help you do that. We want to do, oh, speaking of driving, you want to do some questions? Let's do, do some questions. Question. Question. I got something to say. I want the truth. I'm listening. Put some your pee questions. in my V. What? Put your P in my V. There mm-hmm, you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to drive from Portland, Maine to San Diego, San Diego. Using only the last three movies you watched, who is your navigator, driver, and backseat company? Now, That's very specific with Portland and San Diego. 
They could have yeah, just right. said East Coast, West Coast. Yeah, yeah. The one yeah. thing that I didn't quite understand about the question is, is it a character from the movie or is it the movie themselves? Oh. <laughs> so I did both, um, and I have my reasons. Okay. Um, my navigator is going to be Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. That's nice. That's nice. You gotta have somebody. <laughs> gotta have somebody who knows where they're going and can track hobbits after a bunch of orcs attack. You gotta have that. <laughs> yes. Uh, my driver is going to be Ryan Gosling and Drive. Um, oh, good dude. call. You need you to have someone who is a good prof- crew. Man. That's right. You need to have somebody who's proficient with the wheels. And then for my company, I'm going to have Cameron Diaz in There's Something About Mary. Um, uh. because her conversations with Ben Stiller are fun. And of course she's nice to look at. Um, Dude, so that's, uh, that's a good car right there. That is a good car. Now, if I was just going with the movies themselves, when you go philo- philosophically on this, I'm going to have the Godfather as my driver. Um, mm-hmm. it's an assured movie and it, 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 it is required to sit down for a long time. Uh, <laughs> I have the prestige as my navigator because the true protagonist doesn't take shortcuts. Ooh. And for a backseat company, I'll take Days and Confused because it has a ton of characters from different backgrounds who can entertain and never get boring. Nice. It's going to be a crowded backseat. Yeah, it no is. fucking shit. It's like a Muppet That's car. True. That's true. It'll it's be just like of weed. we'll be traveling by map. <laughs> you're gonna have uh who's the guy that asks Matt Matthew McConaughey to smell his finger? Oh, uh, it, it might be it might be the Nicky Cott character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then the the Wiley Smell Wiggins character favorite. is like Wiley Wiggins characters is like, uh, it's fucking gross. <laughs> you see it on his face. Um. So these are the last three movies I watched. Do I am I reading this correct? Yes. So I I watched the Nice Guys um, yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and so I'm going to take Bumble. Um, the hallucination uh, giant smoking bumblebee <laughs> as my backseat company uh, because he's sarcastic and snarky and he knows a lot about flying cars. Um, <laughs> and then uh, for my driver, I watched Bodied last night, uh, two nights ago with my wife, uh, which, Chris, did I see a comment that you'd watch this movie? Yes, yes. And I you enjoyed it. this movie? I did very much. Okay, good. Uh, I'm taking Adam, the main character, as my driver because it's part of this movie where the other rappers make him make Adam drive them around. One of them even says, "Now we got white people driving us around," um, <laughs> and uh, he does a good job as a driver. Also uh, known as Adam Driver. Also known <laughs> as the Adam Driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my navigator uh, is going to have to come from the movie Unstoppable, which is the the the, the train that won't slow down. Um, mm-hmm as Homer would call it. And so I'm going to choose Denzel Washington um, because maybe he's not a navigator by trade in the movie, uh, but he's a man of precision in that movie. I don't know how many times you've seen that movie, but there's a section where he's talking to a dispatcher who's trying to tell him to get into his side, which is this section of track next to the track where you can hide from a runaway train. And he's trying to convince the guy it's not big enough. And he starts breaking it down into feet. And he's like, it's 4,513 feet. But that's counting from light to light. In reality, it's only 2,700 such and such feet. And he's basically schooling this guy on this precise. So that's the kind of navigator you want is somebody who doesn't cut corners. 
So, you know, it's funny, like, if you're, if, if, now, I did not pick that up on the question. I did not pick up, and it's what it says. It's the last three movies. If I were to do this, my last three movies that I've seen are Art History, um, (laughs) Ex Machina, and Metropolis. Oh, and Witt Stillman? The Fritz Lang Metropolis, 1927. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I watched, uh, I watched, those are the last three I've watched. And I, I would say my driver would have to be Metropolis. My navigator is probably, God, see art history. You don't want any of those to be. <laughs> Did you like that by the way? Uh, I, I guess so. Like, per, I, I, like, yeah, I, I liked it, but, <laughs> but, um, but you don't want, you don't want it to be any of those things in, in your car. You don't want it to be a driver navigator or it's definitely, it's going to have to be navigator by default and ex machina is going to be my backseat company. All right. All right. All right. Can't argue with that. So, um, I've got a kind of a jumble of, uh, movies that I've watched recently, but I also watched the nice guys. Uh, so I'm going to (laughs) have, I'm going to have Ryan Gosling from nice guys be my driver. Uh, figure he could uh, get around pretty well. Um, even if he's hallucinating and, uh, you know, drinking and stuff like that. Um, weirdly enough, my navigator is going to be Michael Jordan from the last <laughs> dance. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> have you guys watched this document? The first part no, of the documentary? Ten parts. I can't take 10 parts of Michael Jordan, anything, man. No. <laughs> it's Give actually really, really version. well done. This was one of my favorite teams of all time. The, the 97, 98 bulls. I watched every game that they played. So I was super excited about this. Um, so I watched that first episode and you could have uh, Michael Jordan as your navigator. Like he, he can run things on a court so he could run things on the road, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my back, <laughs> my backseat company, unfortunately is going to be Ted uh, mm-hmm. from Ted too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's cuddly. And he's, uh, you know, he's usually got substances and like, you know, he's, <laughs> he's funny. So Barry, uh, this, this movie, you didn't watch this with your kid. <laughs> no. You didn't watch this for a sin cast. You didn't watch it for sinning purposes. <laughs> so why'd you watch this fucking movie? Oh my God. It was just on. No, it's it was on movie. and it was, uh, it was the easiest breeziest comedy at that point that I needed. Uh, and, uh, I actually remembered it being better than it was because mm-hmm. I've seen it before. It's not. It's not. No, it's it ain't, it's it's perfectly okay. I mean, I remember I remember liking it pretty good, and and Ted Two, which didn't do anything at all, like it was, which is crazy because that first one did such big. It was a big yeah. hit. Yeah, Ted Two comes out, nobody cares, and uh, I thought Ted Two was better than what people said it was. So, yeah, I mean, it was perfectly passable, and I, you know. That kind of humor appeals to me, so I mm-hmm. he'd be all right in the backseat. Yeah, yeah, you'd you'd have a lot of fun. You have a lot. Yeah, of fun I'd have a lot time. of fun. You know, yeah. we'd make up songs about storms and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, next question. I had a question for Jeremy. I had heard ah. on the podcast. I'd heard on the podcast that he hadn't seen it, Chapter Two. I just watched it on HBO and then watched the Sins video for it. My question is. What is it? Uh, what is it like experiencing a movie for the first time, narrating the sins video? Ah, ah! You guys don't want to answer this. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Obviously, you get spoiled a lot with movies yep. that you haven't seen, right? 
Yeah. Um, well, yes and no. I mean, I do in the moment, but I forget much of what I narrate to the point where <laughs> I couldn't tell you on a specific video if I wrote a sin or if Chris did or what have you. So it doesn't really spoil me watching the movies. Uh, it's not very weird experience as long as I know the characters. So like for it chapter two, I've seen the first one a bunch. So I know who all the characters are. So the names, the names come out of my mouth easily and I'm able to focus more on what, you know, the action is it's being described. But when we have a movie, what did I write down? When we have a movie like um, oceans eight or love actually, or I've never <laughs> seen it and there's a bunch of people in it and I don't know any of the character names. I will often halfway through narrating go, what the fuck is even happening in this movie? Um, and so it, it gets to be more of a slog to get through because I, I don't, I can't, my brain doesn't process this stuff as well. Whereas like a Fast and Furious movie, I know all those character names. They can come out of my mouth pretty easily. Um, and yeah, in the moment I might get spoiled here or there, but I'll, I'll forget within a day or two and be able to watch that movie. Again. I, I will say that for Barrett and I, there are, there are moments where we have to review a script that we don't know the movie. Um, and it's the same, same thing because mm. we're trying to figure out if this is apt or not or whatever. And, um, there are plenty of movies that you have either not seen or you haven't seen in forever and you read a script and you're like, God damn it. I'm so fucking lost. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on yeah, at yeah. all. And sometimes like, even if it's a movie I haven't seen and I, and I'm, I'm pretty much like, I don't like being spoiled. Um, but I have to go to the movie itself and look at the scene that's being talked about because I just don't, I can't visualize it. No, and, that uh, actually, <laughs> that actually happened in the script phase, uh, when you and Jonathan did the curse of La, La Llorona. Oh yeah. And I was like, I was like, what that, the, what well, is that going movie on? Any, that movie doesn't make sense when you're watching it. So <laughs> what it's like when you haven't seen it. So. So generally, it doesn't affect uh, your your enjoyment of a movie later on, though, Jeremy? No, no, I don't think so. Um, you know, again, at the end of the day, I say so many of these things. It's just, they're all just words to me after a while. Uh, like, I just narrated something earlier today. I haven't seen the movie. I didn't write sins for it. I'm sure I got spoiled two hours ago when I was narrating that, but I couldn't tell you what happens in that movie. Now, this so happens to be a movie I'm never going to watch anyway, but uh, <laughs> I assume yeah, that I, happens I, a lot. <laughs> I forget. I forget a lot pretty quickly. So, all right, that was fun. Uh, yo, had a possible question for a podcast. Is there a movie that if someone says they legitimately enjoyed, you can't trust their opinion on movies anymore. This person's is suicide squad. What do you guys think? Um, uh, so I've never gotten to the point really, at least not to the point of like, uh, saying to myself, I just can't trust that person anymore, <laughs> especially if it's somebody that I do trust in general. But I will say that there was a time back in the nineties, there was this girl I was like completely in love with. And she was like talking about how much she loved Armageddon <laughs> and, and it took her down a notch. It really did. And, uh, and, and it, and it shouldn't, but it did. And then like, and then she said that she didn't like Fargo. This is the opposite end of the question. <laughs> didn't like Fargo and thought it was like a TV movie. And so I was like, 
holy shit maybe <laughs> maybe i shouldn't be in love with this girl um so uh so it, it it does affect your opinion i i think it does when you when somebody says something and just like at, you know that just completely on the opposite end of the spectrum but I, i'm i'm willing to listen to anybody i don't i don't i don't just take that don't put those people out of my head and say those people just don't know what they're talking about ever yeah. when it comes to movies so i don't get to that point yeah, I wrote down that I was uh, flirting with this girl at a bar once in my post-college years, and she revealed that her favorite movie of all time was Captain Ron. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> almost immediately stopped flirting with her. You were probably flirting with this. You're probably flirting with this woman that Barrett and I used to play poker with. She always brought <laughs> Captain Ron. I just, I, I'll be honest. At the time. I had not even seen Captain Ron, but I knew Captain Ron enough to know that if this was her favorite movie, she and I were not going to agree on very many movies. Yep. And, uh, you know, I need to agree on movies before I can put the P in the V. (laughs) (laughs) That's not really true, but kind of. I don't really... uh... I don't really think it affects me, probably because I have such eclectic tastes. You guys know that I like stuff like G.I. Joe, Rise of the Cobra. But I understand when uh, a a very smart person like Aaron Dicer loves the Fast and Furious movies. And I don't think it colors my opinion if he says, you know what, I think this movie would be good for you. Um, So, you know, I don't think there's anything where... Like, I don't have a Captain Ron story, <laughs> like that kind of thing, where it colors my opinion so much that I don't trust anything, even if it's Suicide Squad. I mean, there's people that like Suicide Squad for whatever reason, mm. but that's just me. Yeah. I remember a dude at Hollywood 27 saying how much he loved Michael Bay movies, and he was like, those are the movies that I want to make when I'm older. And I was like, holy fucking shit. But then he turned right around and said that he liked John McTiernan a lot. So I was like, yeah, John McTiernan's good. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Bay, though. I don't know. Hey, if you like McTiernan, I don't know why you like Bay. It seems it's, I know that they both are action directors, but Jesus, both of them are completely different. (laughs) So Jeremy was talking about watching a, so Jeremy was talking about watching a movie on drugs. My question uh, is what movie or TV show is better on drugs? And what movie was awful because of drugs for the oh, pod? I, I don't have an answer for the second one. Drugs I've got one for the better. second one right off, actually. Let's hear um, it. I don't really smoke marijuana all that much. But like uh, before I went to see Return of the King in the theater, mm. um, I, uh, I smoked a little bit with, uh, with my, my buddy. And the, the key issue here is it was just a little. So I got like a little bit high and it was enjoyable. You know, I was floating along with the movie and everything. And then I wasn't high anymore. And then the movie had like another six hours left. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and that, was, and that like, was after five hours had already gone by. <laughs> it was interminable. And plus the, the, the pleasant feeling that I had had before was no longer there. So it made it, uh, even though I understand the merits of that movie and I do like it, it made it a very uncomfortable experience. Um, I can say that I have not, 
I don't smoke weed very often at all. In fact, I can probably count on my hands how many times I've smoked weed or had um, had edibles or whatever. But in Vegas, uh, I did have uh, have some edibles, and I watched Toy Story four on edibles. <laughs> and and I can tell you that I, I, I that movie was just I I didn't understand anything that was going on in it. This <laughs> didn't understand it at all. Um, and, uh, later watched it and I was like, well, I remember a lot of this happening, but I just couldn't grasp it. Couldn't grasp it. Um, the only, the only experience that I, I've had is when I've been drunk watching, uh, watching movies and I don't even drink that often either, but, uh, the, the most notable one, I probably even brought this up on the podcast before the first time I ever got super toe up was watching was that was with my brother in in arkansas and we watched saving silverman and and, um i we had i had like four rum and cokes and four tequila shots watching that watching that movie and uh we watched it and we were both just laughing our asses off we thought it was the funniest movie ever made there's that whole part where he fantasizes about being in the ring and, and he gets, he gets punched really hard and the referee's like dead. And we were just like, we kept rewinding it and watching the scene and everything. That movie was hilarious. And then I watched it the very next day and I was like, wow, this movie's not funny at all. Although some people try to tell me that it really is funny, but it it just was compared to what we had gone through the night before. God, that was not funny and not at all. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My pick don't do drugs, kids. Yeah. Uh, My pick is the secret of Nim. Dude, ah. see, this is something yeah. I must do now that this, you brought this up. This movie will fuck you up even if you're sober. Um, <clears throat> and this is a rated G kids movie, but because it's 1982, it, like if it came out today, I guarantee you it'd be like PG-13, maybe even R for horror imagery. <laughs> this, is, this is some fucked up shit. That fucking uh, owl, man. I'm telling you, and then the, the, the and then the rats, and the, they've been experimented on, and uh, it's just some scary shit. This is also mm-hmm. Don Bluth. Yeah, it's a Don um, Bluth. <laughs> but uh, I, if you are of the sort of mind to toke on the ganja um, or eat the edibles, do that, and then watch The Secret of Nim. Best experience you will have in your entire life, better than sex. Mm. Be like every three seconds, you'll be like, "Oh!" Wow! <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing, I, the other ones I was going to mention that have similar effects uh, would be Fantasia, uh, Princess oh, Mononoke, mm. yeah, or literally any nature documentary. I, <laughs> like back when I used to get high a lot, I would get high at, at like two in the morning, and I would turn on whatever the fuck was on animal planet be like raccoons of north america uh, and it would be riveting for two hours uh nature documentaries are the bomb there nice. you go there's my don't do drugs kids yeah <laughs> man secret of them <laughs> like that that was another one of those movies that were heavy rotation when i was a kid used to come on hbo all the time uh I've I've seen Secret of Nim a million times. Although if you put it in front of me now, I would probably have forgotten about 
so much that I watched, especially since it was only a kid's mind that was watching it at the time. So there's probably stuff that I would I would register now as an adult that would be completely different. Uh, you know but, what I should tell you that you'll appreciate is that the only reason I know this is that our friend Russell at the theater said, oh, you want a good movie to watch while you get high? Come on over to my house. And I went over to his house, and we smoked up and watched The Secret of Nim and blew our minds together. <laughs> wow. it, was, it was a very formative <laughs> night for me. Nice. Uh, hey, Chris, hope you're doing well and are safe in the lockdown. Uh, I, I wanted to ask a question here. Uh, wanted to ask a question here rather than Facebook. Uh, because I've started, I've stopped using. And Facebook I'm guessing I got this. I guess I got this from Discord. I, I, I'm guessing I got it from Discord, but I'm not sure. All right. Whose performance do you think deserved an Oscar, even if the movie was average or subpar? Easiest example of this is Us for this person for Lupita Nyong'o. Now I don't think Us was average or subpar, but I, that's it, the example for the question. Well, in the spirit of the question, is should have gotten an Oscar stood out above the rest of the movie in performance. I think that's a mm-hmm. decent answer, but yeah, mm-hmm. that movie's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I kept coming up with answers for actors who were in good movies that should have gotten nominated, but I finally got down to Eddie Murphy and the nutty professor. Um, oh, that mm-hmm. movie. I remember when it came out, I, I thought it was pretty funny, but I mean, now time has passed and uh, it's probably not that funny, but I felt like Eddie Murphy was doing something in that movie that should have been honored in some way. Uh, mm. He's playing Sherman Clump, uh, you know, big rotund Sherman Clump, sweet guy, everything. And then he plays Buddy Love, which is completely opposite in there. Uh, and then he plays the whole Clump family, which, of course, is the basis for that fatties thing that came yeah. out in Tropic Thunder. But um, but uh, he's doing something there that I think is is worthy of attention. I think he even does it in Coming to America, although not he doesn't have as many uh, big roles. Just He just has the one big role and then a bunch of tiny roles in Coming mm. to America. In this one, he's doing two, and I think he does them both very well, completely different in both roles. And then he has to play the mom, the, you know, the grandmother or whatever, the mom, the father and the uncle, uh, he plays all of those characters differently too. And so if you're looking for a movie that is subpar, but the performance should have been Oscar nominated, Eddie Murphy, I think is a pretty good one, especially in that year. That's a good answer. Um, mm-hmm. I think I came up with one other one. Oh, uh, just from the past year, Edward Norton and motherless Brooklyn was oh. uh was one that you know could have been nominated but that's that's on a lower scale interesting what hmm. do you think um i uh i got two answers <clears throat> jaimon Huntsu and basically anything he's ever been in yeah but specifically <laughs> that bullshit tarzan movie oh god with, uh um you know the nazi guy from the bastards um <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård and the snow of um, oh um, uh, Christoph Waltz Christoph Waltz. <laughs> <laughs> um, I even wrote a sin in that movie at one point, about two thirds of the way through. Like Jaimon is acting his ass off here. Somebody tell him he's in a shitty movie. Um, <laughs> but then the other one I wrote down was uh, James McAvoy in Split or Glass yes, for um, sure. That's Split pretty, has a better really reputation good. than I think it deserves. I think Glass has a pretty average reputation, but McAvoy is Oscar worthy in both of those movies. Yeah, uh, especially in Glass, there's that scene in the cell where he changes between personalities 
rapid fire. And oh, you're doing some buttery shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so fucking good in those movies. Uh, he's way above anything else happening. There. Mm. Uh, so I've reimagined this a little bit and uh, changed it into a performance for a movie that was considered lesser than the Academy standards. So similar to us, I think us is an excellent movie. Uh, but I think a lot of horror and comedy in particular performances, like you were saying, with uh, with Eddie Murphy are completely ignored. Um, it, uh, I mean, you could say Eddie Murphy for Dolan Mind is my name uh, mm-hmm. would be a good one for last year. For sure. Um, but uh, for me, like the horror genre, like uh, in particular Midsummer uh, from last year, I think Florence Pugh's performance in that is one of the best performances of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, she goes to a different place uh, than you you know, see typically in mainstream cinema. And I think horror is a good vessel to get to those emotions. And I think because it's ignored uh, as a genre almost uh, by the Academy, those performances don't get nominated. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Uh, I would even say somebody like uh, Dustin Hoffman or Adam Sandler in Myrot stories from a couple of years ago, Uh, a comedy that wouldn't be considered, uh, you know, awards worthy, you know, I even wrote down Jim Carrey and the Cable Guy. He's going for something. That's a singular performance. It should yeah. be recognized. Yeah, the um, you know you're bringing up uh, Midsummer. Uh, Tony Collette for uh, for Hereditary. Yeah, that was one uh, too. Would have been a would have been a good one. Uh, and uh, just to sort of illustrate your point there, although Kaluuya did get nominated for Get Out, uh, but I think Get Out had gotten you know had rid- ridden a wave basically. Yeah, to yeah, where- yeah. Uh, which box office disappointment did you think had the most creative influence? For example, A24 has movies that make an impact despite limited releases and box office. Also, The Thief and The Cobbler inspired both Disney and DreamWorks, even though it underperformed. What do you guys think about this? Creative influences from box office disappointments. Um, so the reason why I ended up watching Metropolis was because I answered the question, uh, Metropolis, uh, huh. uh, sometime last night answering this question. Um, Metropolis is a movie that, uh, when it came out, n- nobody, uh, really came, went to go. I mean, I guess, I mean, if I'm looking at the, at some of the reporting, it was the equivalent of making like $35 million in 2009 is what it did. So it wasn't like, like a bomb or anything. It may have been a bomb, like as far as like how much it took to make it and everything, Mm. the budget. Uh, so Metropolis is, 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 is in so many of our like science fiction movies these days. Um, you, you have, um, this is from mental floss. I looked this up on mental floss. I said the design of C3PO is from that, uh, the, the, the machine slash man, in metropolis looks like what c3po later does uh the matrix uh videos for madonna's express yourself whitney houston's queen of the night and several lady gaga songs brazil uh the futuristic cities of blade runner dark city the hudsucker proxy and uh tim burton's batman films Mm -hmm. and the wild-haired mad scientists of countless movies um, the other thing that I noticed about Metropolis watching it last night was the fifth element is in there. Mm. Um, 
what else was another movie that came up? Uh, but I, I just, I noticed a lot of that Hudsucker proxy thing is pretty awesome. Like when you see the, the, uh, the office of the guy, the main rich guy in the metropolis, it's just, I mean, that's, they had to have patterned it a little bit after that. the actual office, like that big cavernous office thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. And all the little ticker stuff, not, not with paper, but like actual screens, but like, mm. Just the way it's all set up is very you 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 can you can think of Hudsucker Proxy, and uh, and for a while there I was like really Batman I don't really see anything in Batman. And then at, towards the end there's a scene in a like a bell tower and everything, and so there's mm. a lot of little things in that. But uh, Metropolis didn't make that much money, but then it got a huge following over the years, and it's been super influential. Uh, so I'm going to go with that. Mm. That's a good choice. Mm-hmm. That's a good choice. Mm. I got a good choice. I got a good choice. <clears throat> yeah. I'm going with Office Space. Oh, um, nice. Which, uh, from what Wikipedia tells me, uh, they made for $10 million, and it only made $12 million in box yep. office. By the way... Just- there's yes. a great there's a great uh oral history of that movie uh if you you might want to google it uh talking about you know what Mike Judge had to do to make it and like all the different choices that they made and and then of course ultimately leading to the fact that it was a big huge bomb but then later on everybody knows that movie. Yeah, and I think I think there's a lot of comedy films that have come since then that owe a lot to Office Space. I think even maybe The Office, mm. uh, British and or American, uh, you could argue at least maybe got greenlit because of Office Space or mm-hmm. at least the – because Office Space was started being a cult hit almost, I remember, almost as soon as it hit home video. Um, yeah. people the, started uh, talking about liking it and sharing it and whatnot the uh the oral history says something about it being on comedy central was the uh the big uh break for it and they would play it constantly yeah and people just ended up just knowing that movie yeah mm. so i just think it's a it's definitely a cultural touchstone now a cult favorite but it was a bomb when it came out and uh, i think it's probably been pretty influential so there you go well yeah this. and you uh you're you, we constantly quote it um yeah. on a lot of things uh mm. anything that's pointless uh you know we talk about tps reports uh, <laughs> bosses are often given that gary cole uh treatment uh, when you talk about them um uh, I, I don't know if, if the office space itself from the late nineties is something that's going to hold up over the years. Uh, that's one thing that I, I, you know, that I guess that office buildings are starting to get away from maybe is mm-hmm. that the way that's all set up where like the cubicles and everything the cubicles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because a lot of offices that you go to now try to follow that, you know, that Google method. Yeah. Everything's wide open. Yeah, yeah. Everything's open space and everything, but uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it's still, I mean, cubicles are always probably going to always be a part of our, of a lot of people's lives. So that's a good, uh, that's a good one. Uh, I've got an example from the same year, uh, Ooh. that I did not realize was a, or forgot that was a flop. It's fight club. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight club was a flop, uh, domestically for sure. I mean, it, worldwide it took in a hundred million dollars. Uh, but I still don't think that it necessarily made money. Uh, but that's hugely influential from, you know, Fincher kind of writing the ship, like, uh, you know, really taking his, his career up a notch from uh, Tyler Durden, from Brad Pitt, uh, taking a turn from his like pretty boy ways. Uh, Edward Norton really getting in there. Like, I think just the aesthetic of it, 
the uh, the, the the reveal, the uh, the look of it. I think it's been hugely influential for Fincher in future Fincher movies, uh, but also for a lot of people, you know. And that's a movie everybody quotes all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Fight Club. That that's a that's another that's an interesting part of that book that we read that uh, best year best movie year ever book. Mm. Uh, talking about how like Fincher was all was pissed off at Fox because of Alien Three and they didn't think they were going to get Fincher and but then <laughs> management had changed so that he was willing right. to go back and do it and and they were willing to let they were willing to let him do whatever he wanted on that movie, you know, uh, which is uh, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, is it possible, though, that Fight Club was more influential to stupid-ass people than it was for smart people? I think um, it's to both. I mean, you saw, like, a reference to, to Fight Club in uh, Game Night, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so yes and and yes. I there, think. There are, every time somebody makes a piece of art that is anti mm-hmm. the thing that they're talking about, but they sort of glorify it at the same time, but people aren't – people who don't have the capacity to realize that – you know, that it's not a thing you're supposed to emulate. Mm-hmm. They go out and say, Oh, you know what? He, they're just like Oscar Isaac and X Machina, right? They're like, they look at that, that thing, like, Oh, that idea about a fight club. That was a great idea. You had what movie characters did you fall in love with or gain a much greater enjoyment of or appreciation for years later that you just sort of glossed over or simply accepted their part in the movie on your initial viewing? This example, which I won't read all the way, uh, one of his favorite films is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but as I've gotten older, I realized how awesome the Marion Ravenwood character is. She's powerful, witty, confident, while simultaneously being tender and emotional. And Karen Allen was absolutely gorgeous then. Mm-hmm. So those are details that five-year-old me could never grasp. So what are these hmm. characters that you've fallen in love with on rewatches that that you just kind of like dismissed on the initial watch mm. uh this will be my second dazed and confused uh uh a reference of the day um ah. jason london's character in dazed and confused is somebody that i wrote off as sort of the uh he's just the main character with not really much going on other than the fact that he doesn't want to sign this paper saying he won't do drugs over the summer and he's just kind of a dick. And, but you know, he's, he's the main character. He sort of guides us through the movie and whatever. Um, but over subsequent viewings, I've realized that that character has a lot more going on for him. Um, he plays Randall pink Floyd. He's the, he's going to be the senior quarterback. And yes, the beginning of this movie has, has the, has the coaches give him a pay, piece of paper where he's supposed to pledge that he will not engage in any drugs or alcohol over the summer because they want to have a winning season uh in uh, you know when they come back to school um but there's so many things about him he takes that mitch kid under his wing uh and uh you know he's the one that's just getting his ass popped with you know when they're doing the doing the the paddling and everything and he's the one who comes by and takes him under his wing now uh, there, you could read into the fact that he's kind of in love with Mitch's sister is the reason why he does this. But yeah. the reason why I, I think it's more than just that is that there's a point in the movie where um, Mitch is in the car with him and 
and he's talking about the Ben Affleck, the Ben Affleck O'Banion character. And he says, that guy's a dick. And he's like, wait, right. He's, he's making sure that it's cool that he calls O'Banion a dick. And he goes, yeah, he's Jason London's like, yeah, he's kind of a joke, you know, whatever. But then he goes, but he's not, he's not a bad guy to have out on the field blocking for you. And he's and he and even this asshole character, this Ben Affleck character, he's got something good to say about that guy. Mm. And he's the only character in the movie that accepts everybody. Uh the the stoners, the just the 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 popular kids, everybody. He likes everybody. He wants everybody to have a good time. Um it's easy to watch that movie and be, oh Matthew McConaughey, oh he's so funny, all right, all right, all right, all that. But Jason London's really got the more most complex character of the movie, probably. Uh and it's hard to it's hard to see that when you first watch it because it just seems like eh, eh. He's just kind of a bland lead character. And and in a way he is, but look at his actions and look at the things that he does. He's just, he's just a kid who wants to have fun, man. He's 17. He's about to be a senior. And he knows that this football team is not going to be good without him. So he can tell the coaches to shove it because it's on them. If they don't want him on the team and they're going to win with or without him. And they're going to take him as him, not as somebody else. So that's why I love that character. Wow. That's a good one. That is a good good one. Um, I'm going all the way back to 1987, kids. Yeah. And uh, a little, <laughs> little movie I've seen a thousand times called The Untouchables. Right. Uh, it's very easy when you're a young teenager to gravitate towards Elliot Ness's moral righteousness or uh, Sean Connery's snarky veteran. Or even um, Andy Garcia's hotshot sharpshooter rookie police officer who just joined the squad. But the accountant is somebody I've, I, I often took for granted the first many times I watched this movie. Mm. Uh, the character's name is Oscar Wallace. Um, and he's, I, was, I always just considered him um, there for comedic effect uh, mm. because he's, he's such a bookie. That when they do cop stuff, uh, he looks out of place like a fish out of water. Um, <clears throat> but if you really think about it, he came into this whole outfit. You know, he was assigned here. He didn't really ask for this. And he is a tax code guy. He's a finance guy. And, you know, before halfway through the movie, he's got a shotgun. He's one of the four guys riding horses in to raid that liquor <laughs> by on the mm. bridge in Canada. He mm-hmm. fucking kills people. Yeah. Uh, his, <laughs> his gun jams and he runs up and headbutts that guy in the face. <laughs> and this guy is such a straight arrow. But then he stops and takes a drink of that liquor that's pouring out of that yeah. barrel. <laughs> yeah. it's been shot. And then, of course, he is the first one to ultimately suffer any real consequences here yep. as he's killed um, by uh, what's his name Nitty, Nitty. in the elevator mm-hmm. and uh, you know the first many times I watched this movie I, I took his presence for granted I didn't think he was as, as important a member of the untouchable crew uh, but ultimately he may be one of the most important ones and he, he certainly stands in for us even more than Elliot Ness does Elliot Ness has to learn how to dirty it up but, you know, we kind of come in totally green um, and, you know, we're one of the first casualties of the movie's harsh reality. Anyway, not to get too deep, but that guy means a lot more to me now when I watch that movie than he ever did before. 
That's a great one. Try not try not getting chills during his scene during that Canada U.S. bridge thing yeah, when, he's, yeah. when he's when he's taking charge and everything. It's one of the big chill moments. Of course, the music helps too. But yeah. uh, but he that that moment where he's taking charge in that scene is one of my favorites of that movie of a movie that's got a lot of favorite scenes yeah. in it. Um, so yeah, that's a great one. My answer is a little bit uh, different from uh, because I'm derailing into TV, mm. but I thought this this was on my mind recently. Um, Rhea Seahorn's character in Better Call Saul, Kim mm. Wexler, um, was initially set up in that series to almost be the wet blanket, right? To to be the one that spoils the fun, that that uh, tries to prevent Saul from being Saul, and we want to mm-hmm. see him be Saul eventually, yeah. uh, and you know, from the very first, I was just like, it, she almost operated as like a Skylar white, you know, how Skylar white got all that <laughs> yeah. disdain so much so that Anna, Anna poor Anna gone Anna gun uh, herself got uh, a lot of uh, uh, bad mail and stuff like that. But, uh, but that character kind of was a wet blanket uh, for, for Walter white. And it probably obviously needed to be there, but I didn't want to see that in better call Saul. And, this character is developing so much uh, that I, I appreciate her just as much, if not more, than I do the Bob Odenkirk uh, character because they work so well together. She's not just constantly saying, you can't do this, you can't do this. She's working ways around uh, to, to make their relationship work. And I think that's very cool. And I think it's very cool to see it in a female character on you know a, a highly rated show too, uh, not become that Skylar White ish wet blanket type of thing. Well, and and uh, the way they have written her character, it does it does seem like Bob Oden that Bob Odenkirk's character is going to be in trouble with her. Like the whole relationship is on the line every right. time he does something stupid, and they they did something this past season where it almost sounds like she wants to be a part of it more than she doesn't want it to happen at all. Um, And uh, we don't know exactly where everything's going there, but they have really like, I, I feel like you, I feel like she is, is turning in Emmy worthy performance. I'm telling uh, you. And she hasn't gotten one and she's been perfectly good enough to get one in the last, uh, last season, at least. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she's finally getting some due for that role. And, uh, and, and by the end of this season, this past season that just happened, um, you, you're, you, you realize that she's got a lot more going on than she, she's probably tired of being the, the goody two shoes. Yeah. Uh, she's always, the, you know, she was initially set up as the, the tight ass, like ponytailed, you know, by the book, that type of thing. And it's it's just so cool to see. And and going back and watching older episodes, you can see that there's a lot more character nuance uh, that she was putting in even at that point. Uh, so I think it's it's very cool to see. Yeah, I'm glad you're watching this season, by the way, Chris, because I this is some of the best television I've seen in forever. I think is mm-hmm. uh, is this this season of Better Call Saul, and it's completely different from last season, Jeremy. So. Yeah. Whenever uh, you do get around to binging it, I think you'll enjoy it. 
like at the beginning of this season, I think five or six episodes got rattled off on my DVR. Like, uh, we're just sitting there mm. because I wasn't like, just, I wasn't just like horny to watch the show. Yeah. And I watched the first episode and then I was done with those six episodes by the time the seventh episode came out. So then I was every week I was just, all right, I got to watch that new one. got to watch yep. that new one. So, uh, a hallmark of a great show for sure that is going to do it for this episode covered a Uh, lot of ground baby we did uh we went to our final four what do you think of our final four uh some of you i know are going to be upset about some of these because i've heard some of you say some of you such and such is your favorite movie and it's gone now (laughs) so um you know uh welcome to our world there's plenty of movies that i wish could weren't cut out of this but there can only be one winner there can be only one um uh, go to uh, Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. Uh, we're also on CinemaSins Twitter, uh, Music Video Sins Twitter. We're on SoundCloud. We also have a Discord. If you want to get on Discord, you can go to uh, the Reddit page on the right side and go to a link there, or you can face you can go to Facebook and private message me, and I can give you a link. Uh, that'll do it for this week. It's Chris Atkinson, Jeremy Scott, and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. That sounds like the beginning of uh, an ultimately terrible horror movie. It does. It does. <laughs> uh, it's called curiosity got, curiosity got the best of me, and I finally clicked on the email, and then I opened up the attachment. The hotmail is coming from inside the house. <laughs> yes. And then suddenly your face contorted into a ring like. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hey, so I just, uh, uh, for the first time, I watched uh, Strangers on a Train Ooh, last night. That's a beautiful Ooh. movie. You guys have seen this movie, right? I've seen it many times. That that movie ends in such a fucking bonkers way, man. Like that's just the one of the weirdest endings I think I've ever seen with the merry go merry go round mm-hmm. stuff and him like contorting to get to the cigarette lighter. And there's so much emphasis on that cigarette lighter, like it's the only thing. And then they spent this whole time uh, hiding the fact that he was involved at all. And then he just tells them at the yeah. He just yeah. tells him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was amazed and dumbfounded by this movie because I know it's mm-hmm. so good, but it's so bonkers. Yeah. Hitchcock had a, had a tough time ending films a lot of times. <laughs> um, I mean, no, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like some of the, think of some of the best movies he's done. Psycho has that terrible, like, you know, he was a transvestite, you know, that bullshit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it has all that, like, psycho babble at the end, not not to, uh, no pun intended, but, um, you know, it, it, movies, there's a lot of his movies that do that. The Birds has a, has a pretty cool ending, but it feels like he was kind of struggling to figure out how to end that one, too. Yeah, that was just, uh, I was not prepared for that merry-go-round, mm-hmm. man. Because you think Strangers on a Train. I thought they were going to be on the train for longer. I thought it was going to be the whole thing oh, was on the train. Throw Mama but, from the train, no, right? Just, the, yeah, throw, throw, throw Mama from the train is 
that wasn't going to be two hours of throwing a mama off a train. <laughs> but what if it was? No, that, would, that would have made so much no, better. It would. But yeah, they, they patterned themselves after strangers on a train, uh, throw mama from a train. To... I like the fun, the beginning of it because uh, Billy Crystal has um is a, has writer's block and is because his wife stole his book and um and he's trying to write you know the night was and he keeps trying to come up with an adjective for it and he's like the night was moist <laughs> the, the night was <laughs> stuff like that. Did you see the Harry Styles cover of Sledgehammer on Howard Stern? I did not. Uh, yeah, it was I awesome. thought that was really good. It was awesome. I think I actually don't like that song, uh, the original song, but I really like. Yeah, uh, there's what a he well, Robert Palmer always had that sort of a uh, like kind of tood to his voice. Not Peter Robert Gabriel. Stern, Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel. Uh, yeah, there's kind of like a uh, ah hoity toityness. No offense, <laughs> I, even in I, your I, eyes. I, um, uh, I love Sledgehammer. <laughs> Well, you should listen to the Harry Styles version because I'm sure you'll like it. Uh, mm -hmm. I just I was never a super big Peter Gabriel fan, mm -hmm. but uh, I wasn't either. Yeah, I thought that cover was delightful. I guess it's on his album. Mm -hmm. I think it's not just a performance he did. Like I think he covered it on the album. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't oh, really? Yeah, no. It's got a it's got a real funky feel to it. I like I like the look of his band too. I like him, man. Yeah, I like what he's doing. That, like a, watermelon sugar song. What the fuck is that? I remember this is way off. I mean, way off the subject, but I remember, um, in college, we did this, uh, show that was supposed to be on the, uh, like, um, public access at MTSU. Huh. And it was a, it was a sketch show. It was me and these two other guys we went around shooting some things. And, um, and, uh, we did, there was a, there was a, there was a story in the school paper, the MTSU paper, about some dude who was caught masturbating in one of the parking lots. It's a student. They've showed his picture and everything. Oh, no. Oh, God. I was just like, holy shit. And, uh, <laughs> and so we wrote a sketch about, oh, the, 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 the newspaper was called Sidelines. Um, and, uh, and we wrote a sketch where, um, we we were disgusted that, that that guy's picture in the paper and everything, and uh, and the guy that we had doing the acting and everything, we wanted to make it look like he was angry and he was yelling and blah 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 and he, and uh, and whatever you do in the in the in the parking lot with shaving cream is is uh, is uh, is your own business and apparently shaving cream was involved. Um, oh, nice! And so, so at the very end, after this angry diatribe, he's supposed to get up and he's supposedly naked the whole time that he's been saying this. But of course, <laughs> when we shot it, he had like a a speedo or some shit on where like we would blur that out, and he would look like he was naked. But you know, um, <laughs> ah, that was fun. Ah, college. Nice. 